Father, thank you that you really are all that we need, that you have provided abundantly, that, that you have loved us when that's the furthest thing from what we deserve. Father, but thank you for just, just for loving us. Thank you for this place that we can come and, and be the church that you created, that we can be the church. And I just ask that, that you would work this morning, that you would move, that your spirit would just continue just to work in our hearts, that our desire would never be just to stay the same, but just be continually changed by you, continually made more and more like Jesus. And we trust that you would do that. Father, use your word today to just grow us and teach us more and more about what it looks like to be your church. Father, I pray this all be for your glory, not for ours, but all for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and turn to Matthew 18. You probably, if you've been here for any amount of time, you could have guessed that's exactly where we're going to be. Um, so we're in 18. We're going to go eight, 18 through... Chapter 18, verse 1 through 14 today. And what I said last week was kind of last week we saw what it means to be a part of the world that God has us in, part of the earthly stuff, part of the things that he's called us to be a part of. And today we're going to see more about not just what it looks like to be part of that, but to be part of this, to be part of the church that he is building, the part of the church that he is creating and growing and molding and how he's making each one of us more and more like Jesus. And this morning we kind of have three separate points yet connected points because all different ways that we are to interact as the community of faith, as the church. And we're going to see like... He's going to talk about childlike humility and what that means to become like a child in that way. And then like how seriously we should take our sin and not leading others in the body of Christ into sin. And then how we as the church are supposed to pursue one another and be so for one another. And I'm excited to look at these things. Um, let me go ahead and read Matthew 18, 1 through 4. It should be on the screen. Uh, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So it doesn't say this here in Matthew, but if we, when we see the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke, we see that the disciples had actually been arguing about this. On their way to meet with Jesus, they had been arguing about who was the greatest. I don't know, like fighting over who's lead dog and, or whatever. But you see that like Jesus says just last week, we saw he paid Peter's tax. It doesn't say he paid everybody else's tax. He took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to see when the transfiguration He's told Peter specifically, I'm going to build my church. And so, like, you see them starting to wonder a little bit, is, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest of us? And they start to get distracted by that. 
What's, like, what's heartbreaking about that is that just two weeks ago, at least in our time frame, they were, Jesus has told them that I'm going to die. I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm going to suffer. And it says they were greatly distressed, but very quickly they've obviously become back to focused on themselves because they're concerned about who's going to be the greatest amongst them instead of still being distressed about the fact that Jesus said he's going to die. And based on what Jesus teaches this morning, I, like, I really feel like there's not many worldly structures that are built on being like a child. Like, most everything that the world builds is very much mature, be, grow up, be more educated. Like, become a man, become a woman. Like, we're growing up. And this is why we encourage, we teach our children how, good manners, we teach our children proper etiquette. We, we teach our children all these things because we want them to grow up, not, 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 not remain childlike, but we continue to teach them. And I don't, want to try to, I don't want to say any of that is bad because I definitely think we're educating our children, we're growing up our children. And I feel like I, I have gotten a taste of this the past two weeks, um, having children living in my house, but I have never would have imagined that you would have to teach and remind a child seven, eight, nine times the importance of flushing the toilet. <laughs> I never thought time and time again I'd have to remind a child to wash your hands after flushing the toilet. I never thought I'd have to remind them to use soap when washing your hands after flushing the toilet after using the restroom. The biggest one, the biggest surprise to me has been I never thought I'd have to teach a child to turn off the water after washing your hands after flushing the toilet, after using the toilet. Like, it's just been this like, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn. It's, like, it's, it's continually amazed me. There, there's my last two weeks. Uh, but teaching children is a good thing. Like, however, listen to what Matthew 18, like listen to what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, okay, so what does it mean? Like, humility of a child. Something we talked about a couple weeks ago was our dependence. Our, that we are incapable to do this ourselves. That we are 100%, I used a bunch of different, 100% totally, utterly dependent on Jesus. And that leads us to pray. That leads us to be in a posture of complete dependence. But this is a child, right? The child is dependent on the parents. Even when, even when they get to the age that they try to be independent, they're still dependent on their parents. Even after our elder meeting on Thursday, they'll say, well, I got to go pick up Tucker. Tucker was dependent on his parents, even at an older age. Sorry, Tucker. But... Like, we're dependent. Kids are dependent. Like, Matthias is hungry. He doesn't say, I'm going to go to the refrigerator and make a sandwich. He's dependent to be fed. At, at certain ages, they can't even advocate for themselves. They can't even say, I'm hungry. Can you feed me? They cry because they're dependent. And this is kind of the same idea that Jesus is saying, like, you are dependent on me. You don't try to be independent of me. Because 
I'm doing this. And I think he's teaching his disciples here very different from the way that the world is teaching. Very different in terms of dependence because the world, even many religious structures, where we have a leader, but our desire is never to always be the one who's following. Like, we have this desire to be the leader. Like, I think, specifically just sports example, when a backup, when a rookie quarterback is drafted to be like the understudy to a currently great quarterback, when Aaron Rodgers was drafted to be behind Brett Favre, the goal was never for him to always be the understudy. He was, he was dependent on that great quarterback to, to teach him, to lead him how to be that great quarterback. I'm using specific examples for a reason. Um, teams for a reason. But the goal was always to never stop at being the follower. Like, 10 years down the road, the backup quarterback does not want to be a backup quarterback. That quarterback wants to lead his own team. He, he wants to grow past being dependent on the great, the leader. And in like the times of Jesus, it would have been the same with the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the rabbis, because they had leaders, they had followers, or they had followers that, were, that they were teaching. But the role of that follower was always to learn enough to then be able to be the rabbi to teach others. Like that was continually the structure, and that was the goal, was to become the leader. But you see, like Jesus is teaching exactly the opposite of that. Like, we never get to the point where we desire to no longer be dependent on Jesus. Like, that's continually our, that's our spot. We are dependent. Whether we like it or not, we are. And Paul and James and other New Testament writers talk about the importance of being grown up in maturity, understanding more and more of the things of God, understanding more but that does not change the dependence at all. Understand more, grow more, yes. But in terms of the humility, humility in terms of the way we are, receive salvation is the same. We are completely dependent. So instead of answering the disciples' question on who is the greatest, he says, actually, you all just have great need. And for you to truly get this, you're going to have to understand your need. What we see is that is this, as this is the church that Jesus is building, a bunch of people with great needs solely dependent on him, it's those type of people that he's gathered together as the church, a bunch of people who are dependent and needy and need Jesus. That's the church that he's building. That's the church that he's going to start talking about. This is how you're going to interact together because you're all in such great need. You are dependent on me. And I think going through today, we continue to see this in this passage. We're going to see over the next couple of weeks what it looks like to be in this together. What it looks like to be so for each other because we know how dependent we are on Jesus. Like how we pursue one another with the gospel. How we interact with each other even when, we, when one another sins. How we forgive one another. How we're, we're, we are one, as Jesus prayed in John 17. Like we are one. And I think this is specifically, this teaching is for the local church. The local expression of the church. 
So I'm going to read a little bit further here. We're going to go with 5 through 9. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Like, before we go much further, like, I, I do think this is talking about like, us teaching our children and not leading children into sin. I, I do think that is part of this. Like, we should not be temptation for the children that we're leading. Like, that's why we're trying to make a bigger emphasis of a children's ministry here at our church. That's why we've been trying so hard to get this back room done so we can do more. We can have more space to do things. And super big praise report. We've had a, like, such a struggle trying to get this back room, anybody to come work on it, anybody to come look at it. This week we got somebody. And it was just a huge, it was so clear that it was totally God leading this guy to come and work on our church. Like, it is so clear, and this is like so exciting, that within two, maybe potentially three weeks, like, we're going to be using this back room with walls and lights and dry, <laughs> which is a huge thing. Don't look at it right now. It's not dry. But like, I also want to remember, like, look at what we just read. Who are those that are greatest in the kingdom. He's talking about those who, with the childlike humility, with those that are, are in their dependence, it is then that they are saved. Like, when he's talking about little ones, when he's talking about children here, he's referring to believers. He's referring to those that in their childlike faith are following him in complete dependence on him. It says... But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me. Like we're talking about believers. I don't think it's just talking about a specific years, age. He's talking about believers. So like we're supposed to be for each other. We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be one. But that's like the way I gave some quotes a couple weeks ago about how this world's always like, you can do it all by yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you set your mind to it, you can do it, all, all this stuff. And like, that's the world. Like, you, no one else's actions can control you. We're, you're, you're kind of, we're all individuals who are all kind of after, we're all in the church together, but we're all very individual. That's not the church. That's not the church. I don't think we get how connected we are, how the things in our lives affect one another, especially as the church, as the local church. In Guys Group, when we first restarted Guys Group, I guess, one thing we talked about is killing the sin in our lives, getting, like taking sin so seriously and be willing to address the sins in our lives and the lives of others. And one, and one 
I know Tanner alluded to this passage a lot, that it's, it's a terrifying passage in Joshua 7 with Achan. Like, the sin of one man, one man's sin affected the entire nation. They lost a battle. People died. All because of the sin of one man who directly disobeyed God, and the entire community was affected. And I think that we act like that's not true. I'm not saying that your sin makes all these people die, but I think that we're foolish if we think that we're isolated, that we're all individual. Because although it's so easy to think that, oh, the lust in my life is not impacting anybody else in the church, or the greed in my life isn't influencing other people in the church, we sometimes just say, oh, those big things, obviously if I, if I drink and drive, that might impact other people. But it's the same with other, with other things. Even if it's not as, you physically see it as much. And I'm not directly saying that, oh, the sin in your life is impacting the health or the life or the growth of the, this church. But I'm also not saying that the sin in our lives is not impacting our church. Because we're one. We're in this together. We're in this together. And I think we ignore that way too often. Like, this is why community is important. This is why accountability is important. This is why preaching the gospel to one another is so important. Like, not because we think we're not saved. Like, if, we, if somebody preaches the gospel, you're like, whoa, 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 I know that. I know that. Don't, like, we're telling the gospel to one another because it's so important. Like, I hope we're re-gospeling one another all the time. I hope we're re-gospeling ourselves all the time. Reminding ourselves how dependent we really are. Because just as we talked about in Matthew 5, when Jesus taught something very similar about cutting off hands and cutting out eyes and all that, like, the gospel is the only thing that ultimately changes hearts. Like, cutting off a hand is not what's going to change your heart that is so full of sin. Like, the gospel does that. Jesus does that. And I think he says we should take this very, very seriously. And he says the temptation is going to come. It's a thing. Temptations are going to happen. But look what he says. Woe to the world for temptation to sin. For it is necessary that temptation comes, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. What do you think the disciples, as they heard this, would have been like, ugh. I, I really feel like they would have understood exactly because they had just been having this conversation amongst themselves about who is the greatest. A lot of pride in having a conversation about who's the greatest, arguing about who's the greatest. You're, their sin, not that they specifically made another person's sin, but pride <laughs> brings out a lot of resentment and a lot of from the other, another person. When people brag, I mean, even, like, go back to the sports example. When people are very, very overly prideful, even in some silliest sports, it's very easy to be like, ooh, that, I don't like that. But, like, in bigger things, like, pride makes other people angry. Like, they would have been, just had these conversations. That's where they would have been. But think about, like, think about other examples. Like, think about... A husband doing taxes and is like, goes to his wife and says, let's make this extra, let's claim this extra deduction because that's what a lot of people are doing. No one knows. 
in that moment, not only is he sinning, but he's leading his wife into sin as well. Like, that's a serious, serious thing. What about the boyfriend-girlfriend relationship that you're in? I'm really not having a sex talk here. But do you realize that when you would do anything that was outside of God's will for you to do before marriage, that you are actively leading that other person into sin? Like, I don't care if that person is willing or not. Like, by you doing that, you are leading them into sin. I'm really trying to look around and not look at anybody. Um, but, but I'm very, very serious. That's, that's weird. Um, very, very serious. Like, we're taking this seriously. Like, you are leading them into sin. And Jesus would say, it was, it was better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Like, the role of a parent here is huge. Like, are you treating your kids in a way that would lead them into sin, whether it be the things that you're watching with them? What about the, 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 your actions in your life that are, I know not everyone's a parent, but what about the actions in your life that your son or your daughter is surely going to imitate or, or mimic when they see you doing those things? Is that going to lead them into sin by your actions? Is your anger towards your kids, the anger that comes out, is that, leading your, is that tempting your kids to respond in sin because of your anger? We saw what Jesus says for those that would lead another into sin, to tempt another. Like, Jesus is talking about how serious we are to take this. Like, we're t- he takes sin very seriously. Same as Matthew 5, same way we see here. Better is it that you cut your foot off. Better is it that you take out your eye than to cause another to sin. And in taking our sin so seriously, we're not only killing our sin, but we're helping others do the same. Like, we're not tempting those within the church. And we're willing to go to great lengths to do that. Like I said, cutting off your hand does not solve the problem. There's, there, there's a heart issue there. But that doesn't mean that we would not be willing to go as far as to cut off our hand. Like, someone with no hands, no arms, nothing but a torso, it can still sin. No eyes, like, the heart is still sinful. But it's, we have to take this so seriously. Like, we have to take the sin in our lives so seriously. Like, if we're in CG and we get to talking about sin in our lives and uh, it feels like people in your CG are reaching out to you because there's sin in your life, like, praise God that they're doing that because it's so serious. This is for God's glory. This is for the good of the church. This is for the good of what Jesus is doing. Like, dealing with sin in our lives and the lives of others and our community is icky It feels awful, it's hard, it's embarrassing, it's difficult, but it is so necessary. And that's never fun. But as the body of Christ, as this local church, as the global church, like, we're in this together. Like, we're not isolated in our sin. Like, sin in your life is going to make you feel isolated, it's going to make you withdraw, it's going to make you pull back. That's what sin does. Like the Bible is very clear that sin grows in darkness, not in light. 
but deeply rooted community, strongly desiring to kill the sin in our lives and be changed more and more by the gospel, by preaching the gospel to ourselves over and over again. This is the body of Christ. This is the church. This is how we are to be. And I think the, the importance of community here cannot be understated. I think that to do a lot of this, you have to be community that knows each other and really loves each other and not just surface level knows each other, but knows each other. Because I think only after we genuinely know each other can we begin to walk with one another through sin and, and, and bring the gospel there. But see, like, what is it, like, how do I mentioned last week, I don't think drinking is a sin. I don't think that that in and of itself is sinful in any way. But if I go to dinner with a fellow brother who is, alcohol is a huge struggle for them, recovering from, from being an alcoholic, and I order a beer in front of them, like, although that in and of itself, that might not have been a sin for me, did I not just lead them into sin, lead them into temptation? Bring a temptation and set it right in front of them? Like, I think that's a very, very serious thing. But we don't know that. You don't know that until you know that person. Usually people don't start a conversation with, I'm a recovering alcoholic, please don't have a beer in front of me. Like, that's not our first conversations we have. But when we genuinely know each other, we know how to interact as the church and not lead one another into sin. That's part of growing in community. That's part of being one. Like, I hope I haven't said this too much, and I hope you don't get tired of me saying this, because I'm going to continue to say it. We in the church are together. We're one. We're in this together. God has put us together. Jesus is building his church, and he has this here because it's his church, and he's building it. And as the church, as a body, when parts of the body are missing or doing crazy things or are deep in sin, it affects the rest of the body. And I think that's why it's so important that we, as the church, pursue other believers in our church that are withdrawing or are maybe, are maybe trying to unplug a little bit, flirting with sin a little too much, I don't know. Again, it all comes back to knowing each other. It comes back to being deeply rooted. But I think our role as the church is to pursue those people. Like, that's what Jesus did. He pursued us when we were not wanting to be pursued. Let's, let's, let's read a couple more verses. 10 through 14. So Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Like, again, like, we're in this together. 
when one of us, the flock, the body, like that's why he's talking about believers, those that are in the flock, when one of us goes astray, when one of us withdraws, for whatever reason, like it's our role as the church to pursue them. People are like, wait, so if I try to leave and go to another church, you're going to, that's not, I'm not referring, there's right and there's wrong ways to leave a church. Like, there's right ways and wrong ways to leave. If you're like, I feel like God is calling me to this church to plug in there and be a deeply rooted member of another church, praise God. There's right ways to do that. But if, there, if you're retreating because of sin, if you are, are, are pulling back because there's sin in your life, maybe there's guilt over sin in your life, whatever it be that's causing the isolation, that's causing you to unplug from the church, our most important role is to pursue you, to, to preach the gospel to you, not, not implying that you don't know it, not implying that you're not saved, but implying that the gospel is so important and that is the only thing that's going to fix that sin, whatever it be. I think there's so many reasons that people unplug, people pull back, and it always comes back to sin. And often it's even the guilt from that sin. They feel so guilty because of the sin that's in their life that they will, are not coming to church. They, they feel too ashamed. But the picture here is leaving the 99 and going for the one. Like that was the role of the shepherd, was to protect the sheep that were given him to protect. Like the sheep... In that time, like the shepherd, those would not have been his sheep. He would have been hired to protect those sheep. So when one goes away, their role is to pursue that one sheep. Fend off whatever it is that's after that one sheep. To bring that one sheep back. And like in that moment, that one sheep is just as important as the 99. I would even say at that moment, the one is more important than the 99. Because the 99 are in the flock. They're community. They're together. And the disciples that he's teaching would have understood this. They would have understood this shepherd mindset. Not that they were shepherds, but it was very, very common. Like, this is the importance of community. This is the importance of being together. And not just physically together, but together. Our lives, all things in common. We've been reading through Acts. They're together all the time, eating together. Importance of eating together at lunch. We're going to talk about this in announcements. Like, we eat together as the church because we're one. We want to be together. We want to spend more time together. It's a way that we can reach out and do evangelism together as we invite people to come eat lunch with us. Like, we do this. Like, this is why we have lunch together. It's been a very important and vital role in not just our time together as believers, but it's a chance to do evangelism together to share the gospel together, to preach the gospel not only to people that don't know it, but to one another. And this is why, like, honestly, all of this, like the flock pursuing the one, this is why we believe that church membership is very important. Because for us, to, to, to be the church, to be one, we've got to be all in together. We've got to know who is all in together. Like, not that 
we don't love you any less, not that we aren't all for you and want the best for you and want to be all together, until we know that you're willing to commit, it's really, really hard to be in this together. Together is a really big word here. And I want you to know, like, if Jesus is teaching how serious this is about pursuing the one who is wondering, the one who's leaving, the one who's going away, like, if he's treating that so seriously, I think we should too. So it's going to get awkward for a minute. I want you to look at someone. Like, awkward eye contact. Look at someone. Like, seriously, do it. Now look at someone who's not right next to you, across the other side of the room. Sorry for all you couples that just looked at each other. All right, Tucker's feeling left out. Everybody look at Tucker. Like, these people are who Jesus is building his church with. Like, we're in this together. Like, we often don't understand. Like, we think that this is something that, oh, well, I invited so-and-so. We're bringing these people. Like, no, like, Jesus is building his church. He's bringing people here because he is sovereignly directing all of that. That's not us. And those people we just looked at are the people in our church. Even if it's the first time here, it still applies a little bit. Um, Like, we're so for each other, we're so desiring to be one that we treat sin very seriously. And that gets, like I said, really embarrassing, really icky, really not fun. But we're so for one another. And the gospel is what brings us together that that's why we treat it so seriously. Like, and this... People don't like this. Like, it gets, because how difficult it is, like, wait, you guys are so involved with each other's lives? Yeah. Like, that, I think that's what the Bible commands. I think that's the model of the church in Acts. And honestly, this scares a lot of people away. Like, wait, that's not the church I've been a part of. That's not how I've been superficially attached on the outside of my church. Like, that's often uncomfortable for people. And also, like, we will pursue you if you wonder. That's kind of a bold statement. And I, th- I think that's what we're told to do. Again, right ways, wrong ways to leave. I'm not saying if you try to go to another church, we're pursuing you no matter what. That's not what I'm saying. But sin continually isolates. Sin causes people to draw back from this community. So the most loving thing we could do in that moment is pursue you. The most loving thing the church could do is to go to you. As much as that person might hate it at the moment, is to continue to reach out to you, continue to love you, even when you're trying to maybe step away, distance yourselves. Like, I don't know. Maybe at that moment it's reminding you of what Paul says in Romans 8.1 about there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Like, Maybe if it's shame that you're dealing with, then we go to you and remind you that that is the gospel. That because of the gospel, you don't have to be feel condemned. And that doesn't have to cause you to retreat. Maybe it's reminding you of Hebrews. It says, 
It's important to meet together regularly as the church. Like, that's a real thing. Hebrews 10.25 says that. Not neglecting to meet together. Like, Paul says that while we were still sinners, that is when Christ died for us. Not when we realized, not when we stopped sinning, but when we were still sinners. Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One verse later in 10, verse 10, it says, For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Like, as the church, we treat one another, like we pursue one another. We don't wait for them to realize their sin and come back. I think, no, we go with the gospel to them. Like, we're, we're one, we're together, we're in this. Through good, through bad, through hard, through icky, through difficult, we are together because we're all like children. We're all so in need and it hurts to ever see someone who feels like they're not in need. That should hurt because that's exactly opposite of the gospel. I think sometimes we need to remind one another just how in need we are, how much we need Jesus, and how much we need the church that he has given us. Like, this is what the community of faith is. Like, this is what you signed up for. Like, a bunch of broken people, sinful people in need of Jesus. Like, that's what, that's what the church is. Like, we've got to cling to Jesus who we are so dependent on and cling to the church that he's given us. Like, that's it's the church that he is building, that he has established. And I'm not saying this is easy. But I think that if we look at it, we're all in such great need. We take sin so seriously and that we're so for each other that we're willing to pursue even when it's difficult. That's exactly the way that God loved us. Pursued us when it was sinners like us sinning against, directly against him, and he still pursued us. He still died for us. He still saved us even then. And that's how we as the church are. That's how we should act. That's how we should be changed to be more and more like Jesus and, and, and take his commands so, so seriously. I hope you see this morning just that the commands to be the church, to act like the church, we're going to see next week that it starts getting even more difficult. We're addressing specific sin. We're doing the things that are difficult. We're forgiving one another even when we don't want to but we're the church. We're in this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you that, that you continue to use us. You continue to save broken, sinful people, that you are continuing to work in ways that bring you glory. And we don't understand. We don't deserve any of this. 
So Father, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you that each and every time as we even continue to sin, that, that you don't stop pursuing us, that you don't just let us go. Father, give us that type of love. Give us that unconditional love for you, for your church, for those people that you have brought together to do this together. Father, just change us. Give us such a great desire for community. Give us such a great desire for the gospel. And just work in our lives to make so much of you, to bring you so much glory. Father, just cause us to worship. Cause us to be so excited that we get to do this as a church, that we can corporately come and worship, that we can corporately come and just sing about how good you are and that you really are all that we need. Father, we give you the glory. I pray this is just all for you. In Jesus' name, amen.